Hey, M&Ms. This episode, we interviewed our friend Joe. We actually know him through another podcast, Tales from Godric's Hollow, one of Denise's favorite podcasts. Mm -hmm. And if you have listened to a majority of our other episodes, you may piece together that this is number three of three. Mm -hmm. So Josh Brown and Marissa Meadows are also co-hosts of Tales from Godric's Hollow. And I was really excited to interview all three of them. Joe was really great. Um, He talks a little bit about losing his dad when he was a teenager and that kind of crazy situation because that kind of took a turn. I don't think either of us were expecting like what he talked about, you know, Mm -hmm. what had happened. Um, He's really funny. I actually like talking to him. But I loved how... um, the depth of his dad kind of intertwined and fueled him and inspired him to chase becoming a pro wrestler. Yeah. So he talks a lot about that, quote unquote, chasing the dream, which I found, I think we both found really interesting. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And you can tell just the way he talks about it. He has a lot of passion. Mm-hmm. Um, about wrestling and about his journey. Like, he really enjoyed telling that story. Mm-hmm. It was fun for us because we, neither of us, no. know too much about <laughs> wrestling or pro wrestling. So no. the way he explains it, too, is just he takes all of us, he will take all of us, like, right along with him. Yeah, you can see everything happening as mm-hmm. he's telling it, yeah. which is really cool. Um, yeah, he, on Tales from Godric's Hollow, like, I listen every week, and he's just, he's really funny, and he kind of brought that here, too. He did get a little emotional in mm-hmm. this one, and he surprised himself, I think, immediately after recording with us, he went straight to Twitter and said, ugh, I cried. I told myself I wasn't gonna cry. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think it definitely had, it had me teary-eyed, too. I mean. Same. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a good one. Yeah, we hope you guys enjoy this one. We did. Um, here's Joe. Welcome to Mental Maintenance. <laughs> thank you, thank you. Um, so I really am excited about your episode just because um, you were talking about how you wanted to address chasing the dream, quote unquote. Um, and I, I mean, I, I relate to that on some sort of level, um, which is sports and you know, wanting to be a professional athlete. So I'm, I'm excited. I think a lot of our listeners are going to be excited for this one too. Cool. Yeah, I hope so. <laughs> but you had mentioned it kind of starts in your childhood. Yeah. So, uh, the dream, as you said, was professional <laughs> wrestling. Um, my dad was a pro wrestling fan and he sat me and my brother down before we even turned a year old. And that <laughs> okay. was like, the- that was like the thing that we all did together to bond. It was we were watching wrestling, and these guys they became my superheroes. I wasn't into like Marvel and X Men and and all that other stuff. Batman, never really got into it. Star Wars, never really got into it. But wrestling, oh man, Hulk Hogan, <laughs> The Ultimate Warrior, mm-hmm. Bret Hart, all those guys. Those guys are my superheroes. And that's that's funny, too, because I'm not much of a wrestling fan, but I feel like during that time of wrestling is when it was, I feel like, the biggest, at least while I've been alive. Um, It was it was the most iconic, I think. OK. All the characters were larger than life. Um, yeah, I think it was it probably had its biggest boom 
uh, in the late 90s during the Attitude Era, they call it. Uh, okay. Steve Austin and The Rock. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. Really took it to another level and really made it even more mainstream. But Hulk, Hulk Hogan, he did a lot of that, too, uh, just bringing it mainstream. Yeah, so I had a... So with that, I, I thought at the time, like, my childhood was awesome. Like, wrestling was awesome. Uh, I had great parents. I had a big family. My dad had four siblings. My mom had a sibling. We'd all get together for birthday parties. Felt like something out of uh, The Sandlot or Stranger <laughs> Things, you know? It was just that that quintessential childhood uh, of, like, the 80s and early 90s. Yeah. And, um, it was awesome. And, uh, like, wrestling was the thing. Uh, and that was... It became my escape, too. For when things got tough, I turned to wrestling because that was always that was my go to thing. I, I didn't have to, that was my escape, so to speak. Uh, and that the first time where I really had to utilize that was, was probably in around second grade or third grade, right in there, mm -hmm. where my dad went to prison. Oh, yeah, and my dad. He he had an alcohol problem. He was an alcoholic. Um, despite that, though, uh, I loved my dad so much. He was he was like one of my best friends. Uh, he taught me so much. Um, but he he did he had his struggles too. So yeah. he went to he went to prison for uh, about eight months. And for a seven eight year old kid, that's tough. Yeah, dad. for sure. And unexpected, and, I'm sure, because it's not like you were old yeah. enough to really... Mm -hmm. what, what, if you don't mind me asking, what did he go to prison for? Uh, he had a DWI. Okay. And they sent him to prison? Yeah. Uh, from I, I believe this wasn't his first DWI. Oh, okay, okay. After so many times, yeah. I, yeah. Right. So... So that happened, and my mom kind of became a single parent for a little bit there. My dad was pulling in most of the money, uh, and that was a rough time for us. And my my dad had a lot of friends, and so we had some help from his friends and family to get us through that time, which was which was cool. Um, but yeah, it 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 kind of stunk. But I remember I remember the day he got out of prison, and. Me and my brother, we were in elementary school at the time, and this was, again, a time where it was safe enough to, to walk home by yourself, mm -hmm. except we didn't walk. We ran home, <laughs> and we, were, we sprinted all the way back to the house, and Dad was waiting for us on the stoop, and it was this whole big, grandiose uh, hug, and it was like, ah, yes, everything's right with the world again. Uh, Dad's home. Like nothing else matters, and you, as an adult, you you gain an appreciation for that that childlike mentality where you don't have to worry about anything. Mm -hmm. And with with my dad in prison, like life life hits you pretty hard quick. But then it was like, okay, we got past that. And again, I was using wrestling as my escape at that point. So it was also around that time uh, in the second grade, I remember making a conscious decision that when I grow up, I want to be a professional wrestler. <laughs> <laughs> like I've, I've heard 
I've heard the firefighter story and the police officer story <laughs> and, the, and the doctor story. Like, nope, I'm going to be a pro wrestler. That's my, <laughs> that's my thing. Um, so, so dad was back. Things kind of rolled back to normal again. But little did I know that there were still some issues that were going on in my household. And eventually my parents ended up getting a divorce. How old were you when they divorced? I was in fourth grade, so nine. Okay. So not too long after. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, not too long after my dad came back from prison. Uh, And that one, that one sucked too, because, (laughs) uh, because my family, again, I, I thought I had this like perfect childhood quote unquote and my my friends and they were like oh you guys have such great parents and blah 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 and it would it it was one of those where it's just like you never expected them to split and now and now they split so that when that happened we ended up moving me my mom my brother and my my older brother he's two years older than me and my younger sister five years younger than me um we moved in with my cousins so I finished out fourth grade there. Um, when school was over, moved in with my grandparents. Pack up again, move there. Uh, to start up the school year again, we ended up moving back to our original house and my dad moved out. So ended up going back to school where I had been, basically like taking a year off <laughs> to, to jump around a couple different schools. And at that point, my, my mom started to... Uh, dating again she started another relationship yeah again another, another tough thing when when you idolize your dad and now this other guy comes in the mix and he wasn't definitely wasn't as warm as my dad was definitely um different personality than my dad was so it was tough and yeah i was i was still bitter like mom how can you do this to my dad <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh, so that and me and my brother, we kind of had the same thoughts about that. But my my brother has a different personality. He's a little bit more strong-minded. And uh, he's not afraid of confrontation. Uh, where I try to avoid confrontation if I can. Mm-hmm. So my brother ended up bucking heads with my mom about him and ended up moving out. And this is, again, I was I was in fifth grade. Or going into fifth grade at that time. He was in seventh grade. And uh, he ended up going to live with my dad. Yeah, that's tough to understand, too, as a kid. Like, why one, especially, like, to be split from your sibling. Yeah, and we were we were really close, me and my brother. Super duper. But he was he was your typical older brother. He would take every opportunity to manipulate me and beat me up. But it was... <laughs> Like at the end of the day, like if anyone else do it, he would be the first one jumping in to, to defend me too. It's kind of yeah. that mm-hmm. typical big brother role where only I could pick on my younger brother. Yeah, yeah. Was there a reason um, that you guys initially were with your mom? Um, no, I don't. I don't think it was anything specific. I think she just, she was just like, "I'm taking you guys." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. Pretty and typical, it, it, especially during that time too. Like the kids go with the mom, generally. Yeah. From what I and especially and again, I don't. 
I believe it was due to uh, my dad's issues with alcohol. Yeah. So, so she wasn't going to leave any of us with him, especially if, if he was, and and he never he was never a danger to us. He he adored us, adored us. He would do anything for, and he constantly told us that. Um. So we would uh. So while my parents were split, we would go visit over the weekends. Your typical uh, weekend visits. And uh, so that that became my life for a little while. And that was up until uh, my dad ended up going back to prison again Mm. for another DWI. Mm. So my brother had to come back, come back home. And uh, yeah, so at first (laughs) my my mom and my brother, they told me. I guess they didn't want me to know that he was in prison again. So they just said he was in the hospital. Oh, oh my gosh. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know why they went that route. But it was yeah. like after a month, it was like, okay, we're going to come. We're going to come tell you the truth now. I would. Like, I, th- I feel like I would think that my dad was dying if he was in the hospital for a month. Yeah. Right. <laughs> But they assured me, oh, everything's okay. You know, he's just, you know. I'm just like, ha, huh, well, <laughs> this sucks. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, but. So, my dad, um, again, so this is his second time in prison now. And at, at this point, we we moved again to uh, my, my now stepdad's house in Huntington, which no one's going to know where that is unless you live on Long Island. So, uh, <laughs> just as a reference, I guess. Um, but my dad, he was very, uh, he was very strong-willed too. So my brother got that from him. But there's two stories that stick out with my dad, um, uh, just about his his personality. About and he he told me a lot of life lessons about respect and about um, treating people right and I, I felt like my dad was the mayor uh, of where he lived at one point because it seemed like everybody knew him <laughs> and everybody loved having him around. He was like he was the guy that was the life of the party. He would own any room that he walked into. So everybody loved him. And uh, so when my brother was living with him before he ended up going back to prison, uh, my brother dressed in like army fatigue clothes to the school and uh Apparently, the school had a big issue with that. I'm not, I'm not exactly sure why. It was just like army fatigue, like pants and an army T-shirt. And they, they called my dad to come bring him new clothes so he can go to school in normal clothes. And so my dad didn't understand why he was doing that. So he he dressed in full army gear <laughs> and, and went down to the school. And, and he gave them some crap for that. And uh, there was just another time where we were visiting over the weekend. And um, we're driving down the road, and this young, this kid on the side of the road, for whatever reason, gives us the finger. And we're like, what? (laughs) And my brother's like, Dad, that kid just gave us the finger. My dad's like, what? Turned around, pulled up right in front of him, and he confronted him. He's like, yo, what's your problem? (laughs) And and the kid, like, started breaking down and crying and... Oh. <laughs> my my dad then like let him go didn't give him any crap but he was 
he was he was he was awesome like that. <laughs> <laughs> he he wasn't afraid of that confrontation. Uh, <laughs> yeah, either. it looks like and, he uh kind of went head on with it. So yeah, so so let me see. I lost my place here. So yeah. <laughs> so yeah, so what he got out of prison for the second time. He spent a 10 month 10 months in prison that time. Man. And when when he came out, he was a little different when he came out. He was it's it seemed like he changed, which was good. And he also built me and my brother a wrestling ring in our backyard. That's cool. At his house. That's really cool. Yes, and uh, we utilized that. We ended up starting a backyard wrestling federation, <laughs> <laughs> which was a big craze back in that attitude era back in that like that late 90s era 98 yeah yeah uh, it became a craze and I, I came to find out a little bit later on that we were one of the first ever backyard wrestling promotions that started mm-hmm. like ever which was wild yeah Be- because it 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 grew to such popularity backyard wrestling at that point like there was backyard wrestling videos out i know yeah. you have no idea what just a bunch of stupid kids trying to play wrestling because they loved it. Yeah, uh, I mean, I've even heard of that. And I'm trying to remember, like, when or what, you know, like, when I would have heard that. But I rem- I must have watched something, like a documentary or something about it. And I just feel like uh, it was, yeah, it was, like, a really big thing. And I feel like maybe even especially in New York for some reason, that's kind of coming up in my head, too. Um or maybe the specific thing that I was watching was in New York, set in New York or something. Yeah, I don't know why it was New York either, but I think it, it definitely took in New York for whatever reason. Uh, it just could be all of our mind, New York mindset. <laughs> so at that point, so we're still heavily into wrestling again, again, throughout all this process, um, throughout all this family stuff that was coming up would always turn to wrestling. Wrestling uh, wrestling would never leave me. Uh, you know, my dad may go off to prison, but wrestling was always there. I could watch it every Monday night. I could watch the pay-per-views every month. And that was the that was awesome. That was your constant. Uh, yeah. That was the thing I, I always had. C- collected every pay-per-view. Uh, all the action figures. Had all types of memorabilia. <laughs> like, that was, that was my deal. Uh, and we started the backyard wrestling thing, and we start we were covered in our local newspaper, and like we started uh, gaining some fame. Uh, I wouldn't say fame, but just some notoriety. Yeah. Notoriety. Through that, and we, my dad would play tapes at his. Uh, I, I basically grew up in a bar, so he uh, he would always bring us to the bar. He'd he'd bet horses and whatnot, and we, he'd put the our wrestling tapes up on. <laughs> in the VCR at the bar and all the guys <laughs> would watch the wrestling tapes and they'd react. Oh, <laughs> they're, they're, like they're watching the ring. And it was ridiculous. It was completely ridiculous, but it, it was, it was funny. Um, but at that, at that moment, after my dad had gotten clean, after the second time out of prison, uh, I started to notice that my dad started drinking again. And it started with like, like little, little cups, little, uh, drinks when he went out, but but then it started to grow and grow, and I was 
starting to like, I was starting to see it and I wanted him to stop, but I didn't know how to talk to him about it. And how old were you around around that time? Like how old do you think you were? I was got to be 14, probably 13, 14. Yeah, that makes sense. So you were actually start noticing it and actually like worrying about it around then. Yeah, because I, I knew I knew how it affected him in the past, and I didn't want to see him go down that road again. Uh, but I also I, I talked myself out of it because ah, it's only it's only two drinks. It's only it's only this, and and yet who knows what was happening? And yeah, so we were uh, when we visited. I noticed this in our weekend visits, and he also I, I knew there was some other shady stuff going on too. Because he'd go out every every Saturday night when we stayed over, and he'd always return probably like two three in the morning, and we we'd all still be up, but he'd come home with thousands of dollars in cash, and a couple of watches. Ooh. So, and he used to, from what he told us, um, basically there were people that had. Um, debts that they needed to pay and my dad was the debt collector so to speak all right (laughs) yeah my dad would go out and uh and get that money and if they didn't have their money my dad would beat them up and steal their watches Mm. and then he'd come home with all this cash and we'd count all the cash (laughs) on a a saturday night oh my gosh uh, and yeah, and he'd always say, like, if anything ever happens, uh, here's the 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 key to the safe. Uh, you call this number and blah blah blah. I'm like, stop it. Like, no, what would happen? Nothing's gonna happen. Uh, like, don't even put that in our head. Like, it was yeah. almost like he was preparing us for, like, that's that you knew something shady was going on. Yeah. Um. Well, and that's I mean, and you as a kid just kind of assume that you're safe, right? Like, your parents aren't gonna do anything that's like gonna put gonna put you in harm's way or like yeah for you to just be like oh yeah like nothing's gonna happen like whatever right so we i I don't know why i didn't like think twice about it as a kid like i i thought it was cool at the time like yeah my dad's making all this money and like he's beating people up he's so he's so cool he's so macho or like i don't know what i was thinking at the time but that was kind of like my mindset like don't mess with my dad. Like, that's yeah. my dad. I feel like eh, naturally that would probably be my reaction, too. I mean, because it, it, it's your dad. You look up to him and, um, you know, he's almost kind of portraying it in that way, too, of, um, you know, if anything happens, we've got this. And, yeah, I don't know. I, I think that I would probably feel the same. Yeah. So we got to a point where um, – my brother was old enough to join a wrestling school. Cool. And we found a local pro wrestling school. And he was 17 at the time. I was 15. Uh, and my dad signed him up. And this was in September of 2001. Uh, it was right around 9-11. Mm. Where, where my brother started. So my dad paid for like his first year down payment and 
so my brother started training there and like it was like cool as soon as i became old enough 16 uh was the the age limit where you needed to you needed to be at least 16 years old to start training this is back when new york licensed wrestlers like oh. it wasn't just anybody can can become a professional wrestler you have to have a, a license to be on a show how huh. do you get a license uh you would you would have to train for a certain amount of time and then you would have to have three people who already have their license sign off on you with with the New York State Athletic Commission that you were good enough and safe to be in the ring and be a professional wrestler. Huh. Yeah, they don't do that anymore. So anyone could step in the ring and say, hey, I'm a pro wrestler and they can do 20 backflips and break their neck <laughs> crazy uh, when yeah. did that change do you know uh it was shortly after that because i never ended up getting mine when i eventually got started gotcha uh yeah it was around it was around that time where, where things were changing i think two what was it 2000 that might have been like one 2001 2002 that was like the last years where it was regulated that heavily pro wrestling each show had to be still be run through the athletic commission like that was still a thing but where everyone needed to be licensed they they laxed off on that hmm. so um so yeah so it was, my brother had started wrestling things were going good i had like i i check out the ring like when he first started but i couldn't stay for the training so i just kind of like i'd peek in i'd see it and then i'd leave and everything and it was that following month, it was October, uh, where we went to go to my dad's house, uh, but he had canceled for the weekend, said he wasn't feeling good. Mm. I'm like, ah, oh, crap. I'm like, okay, well, we'll see you next week then. They're like, yeah, okay. Uh, love you, love you. Uh, goodbye. And uh, then the following week came, um, this was, I believe, like, October the 6th or 7th or whatever. Uh, we called again and he said he was still wasn't feeling good. Um, that we couldn't come over again. I was like, damn, what the hell is going on? Yeah. <laughs> I, I want to I come see you. Was that pretty uncommon for him to cancel? Um, it, yes. It, it, I mean, it, it, I would say in the, I don't know, in the six, seven year period there, um, mm-hmm. he's, he's canceled... I don't know, five times because of sickness. But it was never twice in a row. In like a row. Yeah. 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 So I was like, shoot. And I'm like, man, he must have caught something really bad if he's still sick. <laughs> I was like, okay. So then um, Tuesday, we, yeah. So we, we would make all those calls Saturday morning. And so I, I spoke to him on that Saturday, uh, told him I loved him. Uh, he returned that. And then hung up and we did our normal weekend at, at our house with my mom and stepdad. And then uh, that Tuesday came along. It was October 9th. And we got a, we came home from school that day and we got a call from my uncle. And that was a little weird to get a call from my uncle because he never called us at, at the house. He, you know, if he wanted to reach us, he'd go through my dad. Right. So he called the house and my brother picked up the phone and he was asking if my mom was home and she was still at work. So he was like, oh, OK, uh, just tell her to call me as soon as she gets in. 
and he let my brother know, like, oh, you, your, your dad's really sick. He's going to the hospital. And my brother, oh, okay. All right, I'll have her call you. So he, they hang up. My brother, uh, my brother tells me that dad was on his way to the hospital. I'm like, oh, okay. Um, but didn't, I wasn't worried or anything. Mm -hmm. It's like, okay, he's getting the help he needs. And then uh, another call came in asking if my mom was home. And she still wasn't home yet. And then finally my mom was home. And my uncle connected with my mom. And she went into... She went to her bedroom first. And called in my brother. And uh, this was a night... Sorry, I knew I was getting choked up at this point. Uh, <laughs> she called in my brother first because my brother was my brother had training that night. Mm. He was supposed to go to wrestling, and uh, so he went in. They spent some time in there, and he came out. And then my mom called me and my sister in, and I remember the look on my brother's face. I'll never forget the look on my brother's face. His eyes were kind of swelled up. And he was just kind of, like, shaking his head. Like, you're not going to believe this. And even at that moment, I didn't... I didn't have a clue. Yeah. Because, you know, I idolized my dad. He could beat anybody. (laughs) He could beat anything. Yeah. So she called us into the room. And she gave us the news that dad passed away. And I remember just being in shock. Like, I had to ask her, like, three times after that. Like, you mean he's dead? Like, he's dead? And uh, just broke down. And uh, that sucked. (laughs) Needless to say. uh, My brother still went to wrestling training that night. Because he just didn't want to deal with this. Yeah. Yeah. He needed a distraction. Yeah. And, um, yeah, so that was a Tuesday. So we, you know, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, we are planning my dad's funeral. We're cleaning out his apartment. And I I still didn't want to believe that it was real. (laughs) It's just like... Because he kept saying, like, if anything happens, if anything happens. Yeah. And I, I, I thought, like, he was trying to test us. Yeah. To see how we'd react. Like, even, even being at his funeral, I still thought, like, he might come out from behind the curtain or something. <laughs> yeah. But he, you know, he told us, like, there's money in the safe. Get all the money out of the safe. He again. He come home with so much cash, uh, like it'd be in all the drawers and everything. But when we went to his apartment, um, there was no money in the drawers or anything. There was only money in the in the safe. And uh, my my two uncles and my dad's best friend ended up finding him. They had to break into his apartment. He had a basement apartment. They broke in and they found. They ended up finding him dead Tuesday morning in his bed. He um, yeah, apparently he had a blood clot. 
mm. that went to his heart and mm. stopped his heart. But he wasn't he wasn't feeling right. He was he called my uncle the night before and he was he made plans that my uncle come to the house in the morning. I guess they were going to the doctor or something. So um so did he have a, a condition or something that was uh, that was causing him to not feel well or um on the on the the, the death report or whatever they call that I don't know what yeah they call that. autopsy um, or uh, death certificate death certificate yeah it said arteriosclerotic cardiovascular disease due to alcoholism yeah so um. I don't know if that had anything to do with the blood clot, um, but I'm, I'm sure it all it all kind of mixed together. I, just, I remember yeah. my dad had a hard time walking the last time I saw him. Okay. Like he had, a, he yeah, he just he was just in a lot of pain. Um, so we found um, we were open we opened the safe. Uh, my two uncles found him. They called. So when my uncle spoke to my brother earlier in that day, um, he was already dead. I was wondering. So he was just. He didn't want to tell him over the phone. Yeah. Yeah. So um, we we found this list that my dad had in his drawer uh, and we knew it was there with a list of everybody that owed my dad money. <laughs> and it was like forty thousand dollars. Holy moly. Yeah. Um, it was a lot of money. And yeah. now it was kind of... Here's... And, and when my dad passed, nobody nobody wanted to pay for the funeral. His brothers didn't want to pay for the funeral. Um, his his parents were had already passed away, my, my two grandparents on that side. Mm-hmm. Um, so there was no family that wanted to pay for the funeral. And... They were going to leave it to 17-year-old brother and me, 15-year-old kid. None of us had jobs to pay wow. for this funeral. Like, come on. <laughs> like, how the hell are we supposed to pay this? Like, yeah. You can't expect my mom to pay this. My my mom's remarried, divorced him years ago. Yeah. That's so, hard. yeah, eventually um, his cousin... Ended up paying for the funeral for us, thankfully. But mm-hmm. we were supposed to pay him back, and we were going to pay him back with the money that we tried to collect off this list that my dad had of all the people that owed him money. So now my 17-year-old brother and me, we're, we're trying to collect money from these bar people and these other people, my dad's friends, um, a lot of which were involved in gangs and stuff. Mm-hmm. I was going to ask, what did they, I mean, I'm assuming maybe like gambling or. Um, my brother and I, I only found this out a couple of years ago. My, when my, my brother went in my dad's car, he found drugs. Uh, okay. So, but my dad, I don't, I don't know if my dad was doing them, but he was selling them. Gotcha. And I, yeah. I think it was drug money basically. Okay. Um, so, yeah. So, at that point, you know, trying to collect was from these grown adults. 
<laughs> impossible. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, they, they avoided us. And even like my dad's side of the family, they, from that point, they never checked in on us. That was like the last time I had any contact with my dad's side of the family for many, many years. Hmm. Wow. Uh, ended up coming to find out that my two uncles that were there that morning, they raided his drawers and took all the cash that was in the drawers. <gasps> Ugh. So how does that make you feel like looking back or even then, like finding that out? Um, It, it was like, I didn't want to believe it at first, but it, it made sense because he always had money in his drawers, even though he had money in his safe too. Mm-hmm. He always had tons of money in his drawers too. And when we went to clean out his apartment, there was no money in the drawers. And we thought we, me and my brother, we both thought that was really odd, but we didn't think that my uncles would do that to us. Yeah. That's and, crazy. And then, and then refuse to pay for his funeral and <laughs> leave that to us. Yeah. Like, you guys are freaking jerks, man. <laughs> like, what the hell? <laughs> man, that's lame. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the least they could have done was, you know. Like, if you're going to steal my dad's money, at least use it to pay for the damn funeral. Yeah. Jeez. Right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So, needless to say, that, that was a big moment in my life where I became very introverted. Um, I had... As I said, I, we, we we recently moved again prior to that. Um, so I was in 10th grade when my dad passed away. I moved to where I currently was there in the 8th grade. So I was just about two years in at an, at that school. I had, I had my group of friends, but we weren't like super duper close. The times that we would generally hang out would be a weekend, but I was always at right. the weekends with yeah. my dad. So Makes sense. So not many people knew at my school that my dad passed away. I think maybe two people mm-hmm. ended up like like saying they were sorry to hear. Um, but that moment was like I, I went on autopilot at 15 years old. Yeah. And like I just didn't want to do life anymore. I was just like, how did... Like I had such a great ho- uh, childhood, and then now my life is in shambles. I, so I thought, um, I'm like, life sucked. It, it just sucked at that time. And then, like three months later, like there was another student in my class whose uh, whose mom passed away, and the whole school made like a big deal about it, and they did all these fundraisers for the family, and I was like. Like, my dad died a couple months ago. Nobody did crap for me. (laughs) (laughs) And maybe that was, maybe she was more involved in the class and everything. Uh, I don't know. But I was just like, that was like, felt like getting kicked when I was down. Yeah. Yeah. Salt in the open wound. Mm -hmm. Right. So, yeah. So, life changed from that moment on. Um, But I utilized that as, again, I went to my escape. Wrestling. Wrestling was always there. And my brother was still training. My brother was getting good. 
Uh, and my plan was when I turned 16 years old, I was going to start training too. And so I went on autopilot un- until that point when I, uh, when I started wrestling, uh, I started my, my training and I was, I was excited, uh, but I was still like, blah. Yeah. I, I, w- I was missing something. Life wasn't fun. Um, and it was, I think two months after I started wrestling that I, um, when my brother started wrestling, he met, he met this guy, Bobby there. Um, and he was in, he used to work for WWE. He worked as an agent and he Mm -hmm. took a liking to my brother. And so they started, they started connecting and, um, by invitation, Bobby invited my brother and myself to, uh, to a church. And I went, I went to the church and I, I saw a, a show, a play at the church. And it really spoke to me. And at that moment, I was like, I, I've, tr- I've tried this life and right now it sucks. So y- you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give my life to God now and l- let's see what you could do with it. You know, if anything, <laughs> if you could do anything with it, then then so be it. And when I when I I did that, I I kind of just released all that and be like, God, if you could do anything with me, do it. And it was at that moment and I never would have thought it. I never expected it. But it was like a weight lifted off of me. The weight of like the past year uh, of hell that I had been through and the depression and the um and the the uh unworthiness and the having no purpose all of that like lifted off of me and for the very first time i i felt like i had hope and i had i had felt joy for the first time in my life and i was like shoot like this like like this is real <laughs> like, <laughs> I was like, oh my god um I, I I can't even describe because it, it was so much more than a feeling. I, I couldn't put it into words, but I was just like, you know what? I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to keep trying to get to know you. <laughs> yeah. uh, so, and that was a, that was a pivotal moment in my life that has carried me through even till now um, was starting that relationship with God. Um, and this was, again, this is two months after I started, I started uh, training too. So all this is happening in tandem. And uh, it was at that moment, I was like, you know what? I'm going to make something of myself. I'm going to like, I could do this. And I I wanted to, I wanted to make it in wrestling and I wanted to do it for my dad because even though he was gone, um, he was the reason why I fell in love with it. Like it was the thing that we bonded over and I wanted to make him proud. So just like you know what, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna do this thing, and uh, and so I started training. I I had a, a renewed life, so to speak, and we were going for it. At 16, I was allowed to they they allowed me to manage on shows. So I had created this little character. Um, there was a superhero character in that wrestling promotion, and they wanted to give him a sidekick. So I became his sidekick. 
Hmm. And uh, I was I was managing on shows now at 16 years old. That's cool. And, and it was my, yeah, getting my feet wet a little bit in front of live crowds and while also training. And uh, and that was awesome. It was uh, it was cool to finally start the process of of chasing this dream, so to speak. And um, but I, I found out really quick uh, wrestling politics. Um, uh, there's politics and everything. Yeah. And, um, they they were not fans of the fact that you know, me and my brother became Christians. So we, hmm. they, um, they talked so much trash and they gossiped and they cut us down. And it was a lot of it was him, uh, my brother, my brother was taking the blunt of it because he was, he was at this point now training there for almost two years. Um, and he was starting to get his name out there and Bobby had taken him under his wing and, uh, and he was starting to branch out and do a lot of shows throughout the States. And uh, this promotion didn't like it. And so they, they ended up, I found out by going onto their website and my, my little picture was removed on the, on the roster page. Dang. Oh. I was like, huh? Like no warning, no nothing. Like, I think everything's still good, even though, you know, they're talking trash and, for whatever reason, like, I don't know why my beliefs have, why you're so worried about them, but okay. Right. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So I, I questioned them and uh, they said they weren't going to use me on shows anymore. Like, oh, so that, that, and what they ended up doing to my brother and Bobby too, we ended up getting out of that wrestling school and we ended up starting, um, another wrestling school because at, at my, ch my church now um, there was another wrestler that had uh, started attending the church. So there was a lot of like wrestling people that started attending the church at the same time. So we ended up starting a wrestling school at the church That's cool. um, with my, my brother was training, Bobby was training and this other wrestler who was, was in the business for, like 15 or so years. He did a lot of traveling, traveled uh, overseas and whatnot. It's part of a tag team uh, thing. So we started uh, doing these trainings at school. Uh, and my brother was training with a WWE Hall of Famer at the time. Uh, was spending a lot of time with the Million Dollar Man, Ted DiBiase. Uh, and was really basically became his protege. So my brother was taking a lot of the things that he was teaching. He was getting taught from him and training us and my brother was was starting to blow up now as, as, a, as a wrestler uh he was getting booked all over the place he was becoming really really popular he would he was starting to um wrestle and win championships and wrestle the bigger names on the shows and so he was gaining uh, a, a lot of a lot of steam at that point he started to get credibility, so to speak. So we started this wrestling school and that's when my training, like this is when I consider like I really started training was when I started at this school. Uh, and training was, it was tough. It was, it, it's not easy. <laughs> it's definitely not easy. Um, 
we got killed almost every training. <laughs> <laughs> we got our cardio. We got ran into the ground in cardio. Um, we had to we had to learn how to protect ourselves in the ring because there would be some guys who would try to take advantage of us in the ring. Um, if if an older guy saw a younger guy, they would they would take their advantages and try to hurt them and whatever. Uh, so we were trained how to protect ourselves. I was basically trained in <laughs> uh, jiu-jitsu, uh, Brazilian jiu-jitsu, um, learning all these different holds on top of wrestling just to know how to protect myself. But cardio-wise, oh, my God. We got <laughs> killed three, twice a week. Yeah, um, I can imagine cardio is a pretty heavy part of wrestling yeah. or like you know just having to be able to withstand endurance wise yeah, you got to have that stamina yeah yeah and even even in ring stamina is completely different than regular stamina too and it's something that yeah. you only get by being in the ring mm-hmm. um so i spent a lot of time, it was actually it was three times a week where we would get killed but um, <laughs> <laughs> um and, and we're talking like i i run like basically two miles each training uh, hundreds of squats, uh, push-ups, and uh, calf raises, and and crab walks, and uh, wheelbarrow walks up and down three flights of steps. Like it was crazy, crazy, but that that's what it was. And I was willing to do whatever it took to to make a name for myself in wrestling. I, I loved it that much. I was passionate about it that much. I. Um, it was the passion that allowed me to push through the pain part of it because there were times where I was hurting and I did not, you can't quit. You got to just push through it. It's a mental thing where to the point of, I, I would drive home and while in the car driving home, I would cry because I was in so much pain, but I'd make sure that by the time I pulled up to my house, I got all out of me because when I went home, my brother was home. So like, I don't want to see. So I kept up with that and I kept working hard. I was, I was, I should probably establish this too. I'm not overly athletic. I'm not uh, overly smart. I'm not overly. Uh, good looking i'm not overly strong uh, like there's nothing there's nothing like overly exceptional about me i'm just an ordinary guy with a dream that he's trying to chase and just putting in hard work i'm just trying to put in the work to to do the best that i can to be the best that i can and um and by putting in that work i i started to lose some weight i was when I graduated high school, um, I was 286 pounds. Um, and then throughout wrestling, when I, when I started, I dropped like 40 or 50 pounds, wow. like right from the get-go. Um, and, and self-esteem was always a big issue for me. Um, you know, battling insecurities and battling doubts and... Uh, like, can I really achieve this, this dream of mine? And it was around that time of training where I also felt a call to, to ministry work and to, and to, to preach to, and to teach and counsel. 
And I knew I had to do a lot of talking, whether it be in the ring or, or whether it be at church. So uh, when I finished up high school, I took an elective, a public speaking elective, because I wasn't a good speaker at all. I was so introverted and I, I would mumble over my words and it was just bad. And I was so nervous. I shake, <laughs> like physically shake when I had to give give a presentation in school or speak in front of people. It was crazy. But I knew that if you want to make it in wrestling, you, you have to know how to talk. Yeah, You have to yeah, be able to I talk to have, and like, to win people over. Stage presence. Yeah. So I'm like, I got to get used to this. So I forced myself into this public speaking class and I took this public speaking class and uh, I got I got better. Uh, Definitely still had ways to go. Um, But I took that into my wrestling training as well as the working out and working on speaking. um, And just all of this combined. And now I'm I'm up to the point where I, I don't consider my first... I, I had two matches before I, I was in a battle royal, which is like a bunch of people in the ring at one time. Like, oh, yes. That was like my very, <laughs> very first match. Uh, and then my second match was a tag, tag team, team match uh, with, with my brother. Um, That's cool. Yeah. That was cool. But I, I, for whatever reason, I don't consider that like my first match, even though it was. Mm-hmm. It was my first singles match. Where I can say, like, this is, like, the start of, I guess, my career, quote-unquote. And um, that was back in 2005. And it was in front of 1,800 people. Crazy. Talk talk about a start. (laughs) I was so nervous. So nervous. But... The feeling that you get the second you walk through the curtain and you, for me anyway, you transform and you are now that character. And the character I was, it was everything, everything I wanted to be in life, (laughs) basically. Like I wanted to be cool and I wanted to be uh, (laughs) looked up to and I wanted to have all the witty jokes and and all that stuff. And that, that was what I was portraying out there. Uh, so I had that first singles match in front of 1,800 people, and uh, it went really good for your first match. Um, and and I was off from there. Uh, from then, uh, in 2006, the following year, so I had a couple matches in me at that point, and actually my ninth match in, which I believe was in 2006, uh, I wrestled my first legend, which was... Uh, he was the genius, Lanny Poffo. He was somebody who I had watched on TV when I was younger, in the 80s and early 90s. Um, he was the younger brother of Macho Man, Randy Savage, who was... Oh, okay, I know that one. Yeah. <laughs> so, he was his younger brother. and Okay. But I, I was nervous, because, again, this is my ninth match. But I had, at that point, I was training for a while. And 18, you had to be 18 years old to officially start working on, on wrestling shows. Right. So the first thing he did when he, when he met me, and he, he saw how young I was, because I was, gosh, I was probably 18, 19 at the time. He was like, lock up with me. So I locked up with him. Like, do it again. Do it again. Okay, now I can trust you. Because I, I, I locked up really well. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, that's basically the first thing that happens in the match when you're kind of grappling for position. Yeah. Uh, so, and that's something, again, I probably did that 2,000 times in training before. I, <laughs> <laughs> so just a repetition of it. Repetition, <laughs> repetition. Um, so I was able to have my first match against a legend that year. And a little bit later on in that year, I had a character change. I, I turned from a good guy to a bad guy. Ah. Do you which, decide that? Uh, no, that was uh, the promoter who... Okay. Uh, yeah. So the, the, the trainers of the school, uh, Bobby and my brother Johnny, and mm-hmm. uh, the uh, the other wrestler involved, Carmine, uh, they put together the shows. And, okay. And when I turned into a bad guy, it was the f- things started to click for me when I when I went bad. <laughs> for, whatever, for whatever reason, it just felt more comfortable for me. Mm-hmm. And it, it might have been because like it's so so, it's so opposite. opposite. Of, yeah. yeah, yeah, that makes sense. So opposite of who you actually are. Right. Yeah. And it was just like I can do everything that I ever wanted to do, but never, never, ever thought to do. <laughs> Uh, like I could do is this character, uh, and I was really starting to find my groove as a wrestler and as a performer. At that point, I was really starting to hit a good a good pace there for only being a couple years in now. Um, and then in when 2007 came around, uh, I started having issues with my brother. Uh, so. My my brother had started dating somebody who was not good for him. And Bobby knew it and I knew it and uh, another one of our another one of our mutual friends knew it. So we had uh we had sat him down at one point and it was him and uh his girlfriend and we basically said, we think you're moving too quick. You know, you got to kind of take a step back a little bit. Um, and he freaked the hell out on us. <laughs> um, and he stormed off. And it was basically worst case scenario. So Because now I got my, my, my wrestling trainer and my brother pissed off at me. Um, and I have to go home to this. And I was, it, it got to a point where I was... I was scared to go home from training again uh, because I wasn't sure how he'd react because he, again, he's, he's hard headed and he's not afraid of confrontation <sighs> and I was anti-confrontation. I didn't want any trouble, but, but things would come up and situations were misread and thankfully I didn't have to deal with it for a, a long time because he ended up uh, staying with his at his girlfriend's house for a while. We we shared a bedroom, so it became. A oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> so you're very. Uh, it's not like you could avoid him, <laughs> right? Yeah, there was no way to av- avoid him. We were s- sleeping eight, <laughs> eight feet from each other, or so. <laughs> um, so he was at the pinnacle of his career too in wrestling at this point, mm-hmm. and. He started to he started to stop wrestling, and and he was offered he was he had offers on the table to sign contracts for WWE, 
Um, and it was everything we ever dreamed of. But they all they all fell to the wayside as as he was uh, with this girl and pursuing other things. And and yeah, so when when he stopped, um, I, I kept going, but the training wasn't the same because yeah. my brother was really freaking good. And but I, I kept going and this also affected Bobby, too, because he, Bobby was his agent, um, ended up being his agent, but a, a close friend, too. And um, we we ended up because we were close, but we became close and we started. Um, he started getting me booked on more shows outside of Long Island, too. So I was I was going to different states now, um, but Bobby never as as great of friends as we were and we were we ended up becoming really really close friends best friends um he never believed in me as much as he believed in my brother Johnny and i was trusting him to basically get me all my bookings but it was probably my biggest mistake to do that because mm-hmm. i i should have done more for myself at that time i i should have pushed for more myself yeah um so he never uh he he didn't he didn't grant me the same opportunities he granted my brother because he always held my brother in such a such a higher esteem and so now i'm i'm battling i'm battling being in my brother's shadow too yeah because my brother's out there making a name for himself good enough to get signed at this point and i'm kind of coming up and I'm always, I've always, oh, you're Johnny's brother. You're Johnny's brother. You're Johnny's brother. Yeah. And like every time I hear Johnny's brother, I cringe. And it's not because I don't like my brother. It's because like, damn it, I want my own name. Yeah. I have a name. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So, but uh, 2007 and 2008 were really, were really good years for me, despite that situation. Um, my, my brother, he ended up getting married to her, but that marriage fell apart pretty quickly. Um, and that sucked on a, like, I, I wish he had listened, <laughs> like, yeah. but I, I never, I never wanted to be the guy that said, I told you so. And I never did say that to him. Mm-hmm. Um, I just, I supported him the best I could through that. But it was just like, it, it sucks because when, when you see it leading like a certain way, like you always want somebody to step in and be like, no, don't, don't do this. <laughs> yeah. But love is blind a lot of times. And yeah, I don't know how many people actually take that people's, that, that person's advice when they try to stop you from doing something like that. Yeah. I don't think a lot of people actually do. <laughs> no, I, think, I think people have to like go through it a little bit themselves and then be like, Oh, maybe this person was right. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. So I, um, so he was, uh, he, he took a little bit of break from wrestling and, and I was, I was starting to go and everywhere I went, I started to impress people. I, I I'd always, because even though I had, I had lost a lot of weight in 2007, I had, I was like my, 
at the beginning of 2007, I was down to 215 pounds. Wow. Wow. It's a big difference. Yeah. I lost basically 70 pounds from my highest weight. And, but even at that point, I was not happy with how I looked. Like, I'd still look at myself and be like, like, I would still be just critical. Like, oh. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I wasn't, I wasn't, ha- I still wasn't happy. Like, there was still more that I, I, I felt I needed to do, or I didn't even know if I could ever get to where I wanted to, to be as far as like my weight loss goal. And when the issues started coming up with my brother, that's when weight started to come back on. Mm-hmm. That was stress eating. Mm. So I started to put weight back on, even though I was still, I was still around like two thirty, two forty. But I, I didn't, I wasn't jacked out of my mind ever <laughs> in my ever, <laughs> in my career. I, I, I never had that look like whoa. Um, and that I, I think that's why I caught a lot of people off guard when I would travel and I, the way I would perform the way I would wrestle cause I was, I was good. Uh, and many people didn't expect that from me. Like they didn't expect me to move as quickly as I did. They never didn't expect me to move as smoothly as I did. They didn't expect me to tell as good of a story in the ring, uh, as I do, because that's, you know, that's all that wrestling is. You're, you're out there, you're telling a story, right? It's, it's art. It's what it is when it, when you break it down to what it is. Um, and so do you think just, that was like purely based off of just what you looked like that they weren't expecting that? I think so. Because when it came down to wrestling, it was always like the first thing that people notice about you is how you look. Right. And, but what benefited, uh, I don't know if it benefited me, but what I started doing was I started watching um, guys like Dusty Rhodes uh, guys like Adrian Adonis, guys like Buddy Rose, who were bigger guys back in like the eight, uh, back in like the seventies and the eighties, who mm-hmm. who had basically my body type, and I started picking up how they wrestled, and I utilized that a lot in how I worked, and and they were they were great draws in that age. They'd sell out arenas too, so if I can if I can get some of that and add it to what I do and be just as entertaining, I figured I, I could, I'm different. Is yeah. What, what I was telling my, like, I'm not what everybody else is. I'm not your cookie cutter person. So typical. Yeah. So I'm, I can, like, I was spinning that in my head. Like I can stand out, but they're not going to, it's not going to be love at first sight because they're going to look at me and they're right. going to go, Oh, and they're probably going to think, oh, this guy's not trained. Because this was at the time where a lot of untrained people were going out wrestling on shows and breaking their necks uh, because they, they saw it on TV and they wanted to go out and do it and they could sell a bunch of tickets. So promoters would put them on shows to just strictly to make money because they knew that they could sell 20 tickets. They throw them in a match, not trained, not, and it didn't matter who they hurt. <laughs> it didn't matter if they got hurt. Yeah. Like it was kind of ruthless that way, but I didn't yeah. want to be—I didn't want to be looped in with that crowd. I didn't want to be right. judged. Uh, I didn't want to be judged by how I looked. I would like just watch me, just watch me, 
Yeah. <laughs> just give like, me a chance. Just watch me. <laughs> right. And every time they did, like, people were impressed. And, like, it was it was great that I was exceeding their expectations. Because yeah. I put a lot, I put a lot on myself to, to go out and have the, the best match that I possibly can to go out and, and not be in my brother's shadow because a lot of these people also knew my brother. Right. And to, to have to live up to that because my brother would generally have one of the best matches of the night. And I, I wanted to go out and rival that at the very least. Yeah. If not exceed it. So something really cool happened in 2007. Um, and this was, I, I had my first wrestling shows in Minnesota in 2007. Uh, and it was such a, f- it was probably one of the top three greatest trips I ever took in my life. Uh-huh. Um, we basically, we did two shows in Minnesota. We, we, f- we flew out on a Friday. Um, we did Saturday, Sunday, and then we flew back. But basically it was a short trip. Um, but we had this huge like tour bus, basically. Ooh, that's cool. Yeah, that's cool. And, yeah, and we were we were basically treated like we were like legit stars, and we ha- we had some more some more guys that I had watched on TV growing up. We had uh, Gangrel, who was very popular in the late '90s. He played a vampire character. He, uh, Ooh, Jordan would like that. <laughs> He would do uh, uh, the lights would go out in the arena, and his opponent, when the lights got turned on, his opponents were covered completely in blood. Oh, that's cool. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And then uh, Marty Janetti, who was uh, one half of the Rockers back in the early 90s, which was a uh, fantastic team. He teamed with Shawn Michaels. Shawn Michaels mm. was a very popular wrestler. Heard, yeah. Um, so it was Marty Janetti and Shawn Michaels. This, this guy, I, me and my brother, would pretend to be them. <laughs> so now I'm teaming up with Marty Janetti, uh, cool. going against one, one of my friends and Gangrel in one of these shows in Minnesota, and that was so cool being in the ring with them. But so at, you're you realize what level they're at and where you need to raise the bar for yourself when you're in the ring with those guys. Yeah, because gang, wrestling Gangrel is no joke. He was hitting me so hard. <laughs> hitting me so hard i was like shoot i tagged out just to get away from him for a second (laughs) oh man uh and but it was such a phenomenal experience and we went back in 2008 we had different guys with us though we did a different part of minnesota but uh, we had greg the hammer valentine with us who's another hall of famer and uh, a manager called slick who was really popular in the 80s as well and we were we had a day before the show to so we hung out in the Mall of America. I'm not sure if you're familiar with Mall of America. Oh yeah. The biggest mall ever. <laughs> <laughs> um, we're walking around the mall, um, our little group, and someone comes up to me and is like, Hey, are you a wrestler? Uh, yeah, and I'm like, I uh yeah. He's like, yeah, I saw you last year. Uh, do you have a show coming up? And I was like, yeah, I do. Like, we were here. And I'm here with the Hall of Famer right behind me. Hello. Like, you don't recognize <laughs> that guy? But you recognize my face? How cool. I was, uh, and 
this happened like it happened right in front of Bobby, and it, ha- it happened basically in front of everybody. And that's when I knew that, like, I, I'm starting to stand out a little bit. Mm-hmm. And like, I'm on the right trajectory, so to speak. I'm like, people are starting to notice me. I'm like, I, I, that can't be cool. It's the biggest mall in the <laughs> in America. And what are the odds this random guy walks up to me out of the entire group and asks me if I'm the wrestler? I'm yeah. like, so weird. There was something about me that had to have stood out when he last saw me. It was it was literally a year prior that he remembered me from. Yeah, there was, that's really there was cool. no way he was following my career in that year, uh, in that year off. So... Like that was just like a really cool moment, um, and that was also the so I had that experience, and that was also the year that there was a movie coming out called The Wrestler. Um, mm-hmm. It was being directed by Darren Aronofsky, who did Requiem for a Dream. Um, it was starring uh, Mickey Rourke. Uh, yeah, I remember it, that movie. Yeah, it came. Uh, I think it came. It came out in two thousand nine, I think. But they were looking for. For guys to be in this movie. So I had the opportunity to audition for this movie and, and meet Darren Aronofsky, who's this award-winning director, and to audition in front of him, which was another wild experience. Uh, which I had at the... they were looking for somebody who was my exact age, too. So I was like, shoot, if I do good in this audition, I could really Yeah. <laughs> like I, I could really uh, use this as a little boost right now, um, but ended up not ended up not getting the part. But still, very cool to just be in that room and do a like a legit movie audition with an award winning director. Like this is crazy. Um, so I was having match of the years now in two thousand seven and two thousand eight in my home promotion. So I was hitting again a really nice stride. And then in December of 2008, I tore a ligament in my knee. Oh. I'm sorry. I, I, I tore a meniscus. Okay. In my knee. Um, I, I thought at the time I tore everything in my knee because it was during it. It was during a training. We were doing um, we were doing a drill and I got I got hit. And basically I was ro- I basically rolled over my knee like, yeah. I went down on my knee and I had two people fall on top of me forward. Uh, and I bent over backwards over my knee, and I felt seven pops in my knee. Ugh. Like it was just like pop up, like like when you stretch a rubber band too too much, and it just pops. Ew. Yeah. Like I felt that in my knee, and I'm like, at that point, I'm like, no. <laughs> and it was, besides being an excruciating amount of pain. Now I'm I'm thinking like. Like this is the worst time because I'm at such a good point in my career right now, where I'm just I'm like really starting to get out there, and and now I have this injury and I need I got my MRI done. I, I thought I'm thankful that it was just a meniscus. I thought I tore ACL, MCL. Right. Uh, I thought I I thought I was gonna have like a year off of wrestling. But it was a meniscus tear that I, I got surgery done on. I was I was able to come back in like two months, which is great. Yeah, it's not bad. Um, 
but I was nervous coming back because when, when you're not using your leg for a while, yeah. and there's this, like, how, how much can I push this? Mm-hmm. Like, am, am I back at full strength? Because I never, the doctor never told me to go to physical therapy, which I thought was weird. Oh. It was just like, yeah, two months, you'll be good. I'm like, really? And he's like, yeah. I'm like, oh, okay. So Thanks. <laughs> yeah. So I started, like, I took it easy coming back. I started doing some light stuff. And then, like, I, well, I was doing some lunges, I remember. And then, like, my my knee gave out a little bit. I was like, whoa. And then, so, I, like, I took the rest of that training off because I didn't want to uh, re-damage it if it wasn't fully better. Um, but rehab, uh, ended up doing like my own little workouts just to get more comfortable, get better and came back in the beginning of 2009, (laughs) I ended up winning my first world championship for my home promotion. Um, and then I also had a, what they call a clinic with, uh, Brett Hart, who was currently a hall of famer, but somebody that I idolized growing up. Uh, in the 90s and um, a clinic is it's basically a seminar a wrestling seminar Mm. and you work out in front of him and he'll give you feedback and whatnot so I I did this workout and there was about 30 to 35 guys that attended this workout (laughs) and at the end of the workout he picked out about six or seven guys that impressed him and I was one of them that's awesome so to have like one of my idols say that I impressed him. I was like, I'm on cloud nine right now. Yeah. Talk about like, validation. Is... Right. I like, this is like, I, I can't believe, like, I can't believe it. <laughs> so that was coming off of the surgery and being able to win my, uh, my first championship and, and now getting that validation was just so cool. And so I kept, I tried to keep that momentum going, but at the end of 2009, my my home promotion ended up closing down. We ended up stopping running shows. Um, so at that point, I was kind of floundering. I wasn't training as much. I wasn't on as many shows. And started putting on a slightly bit more weight now. I'm like, man, I gotta I gotta keep myself active. I gotta I gotta keep going. And uh, 2010 comes rolling around, and just I'm still working different legends too. Uh, I, I was wrestling Greg the Hammer Valentine. Uh, I was in the ring with him, and uh, I had a, a great match with him. And I was ner- again nervous as anything wrestling these guys that I used to watch on TV. And when you put you when you get in there and you're in the midst of it. It's also super cool because you're hanging on their level. Yeah. Even though they can't, they can't work as well as they did back in the '90s because they're <laughs> a little bit older. But getting that experience, and I remember he got the hammer nickname because he used to bend people over the ropes and like smash them in the chest. And there was a part in our match where he did that with me. Uh, like I knew it was coming. I'm like, okay, Joe, brace yourself for this. Like he bends, <laughs> he bends me over the rope. And he comes around, he hits me right in the face. I was like, oh, God. (laughs) What did I do? (laughs) Uh, But 
you know, that happens in wrestling. You you expect to get hurt. <laughs> uh, you expect to get hurt. You expect to get hit. I'd, I'd rather it look great and hurt than it looks crappy and it hurts. Uh, you know, uh, like there's so many other things that are that are worse. But yet you end up. It, it definitely toughened me up. Uh, just being in wrestling in general. Um, but yeah, 2010 uh, ended up being a, a weird year, though. Uh, and kind of coming full circle, uh, my my aunt calls me out of the blue. Uh, it was an aunt on my dad's side, my, my uncle's wife. Um, this was the wife of one of the uncles that took the money at at my dad's house. Right. So we hadn't had much contact with them. And uh, that uncle had passed away at this point. Um, she had called and she said that um, there, my dad, she, I don't know how she found out about this, but apparently my dad had a life insurance policy out. And it was through the business that my dad and my uncle had, her, her husband, oh, back in the 80s. They had a. They went into business together. My dad took out a life insurance plan, and it was still, it was still active. So we we reconnected with her, and she was uh, all she needed. She just needed a copy of the death certificate to move forward with the the paperwork and everything. And uh, apparently, the 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 life insurance um, was for eighty thousand dollars. Holy! <laughs> I was just, and this this is coming at a good time because then I could. Uh, I could utilize it to um, get into a different school and to um, pay off some of the debts that I was accruing on like credit cards and stuff. And, um, and it would, it was going to be such a huge break. Uh, and we were, were gonna... you uh, like an annoyed at all to not know about that when you were trying to get money from grown adults, <laughs> like to pay for your dad's funeral? I didn't. I didn't. I, I wasn't thinking about it because this had just come up. Nobody knew that this existed. Right. Okay. So, so this was. It was basically like found money, but it was left to. It was left. It wasn't left to anybody's name specifically. It was left to the business that went out of business. Oh. Okay. So it was just kind of in limbo, really. So the the plan was to split it between all the kids. Um, so it would have been us three, me, my brother, my sister, and then they had two kids, my two cousins. Um, but my aunt just needed a copy of the death certificate, and we were, you know, everything was good. Um, we, I was able to get her the copy of the death certificate, and then a couple weeks later, <laughs> come to find out, she stole all the money. She, oh she got the God. money. She got what the money. What's wrong with your dad's family? <laughs> <laughs> she 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 used that death certificate to get the life insurance money and she was using it for herself and was not going to give it to to us. I'm like, "Damn." Like, you, yeah. I, I, I I got so pissed off and rightfully so. Yeah. And my my mom was furious cuz she oh, played yeah, us. She played us so bad. So bad. She had no intention from the get-go of splitting it. She just, yeah. she, she was just she just BSing needed, us. Just yeah. needed the death certificate. She needed a copy Ugh. of the death certificate to access the money. So she BSed us to get the the, uh, the death certificate. Like son of a gun. 
Yeah. Jeez. And we didn't know again. Again, we hadn't been in contact with her since it's been years. So we didn't know where she was living at that point. There was no way to like call her out on this crap. Right. So they took all the money and we're back down to square one now. Um, and that was that was basically how my 2010 went. Stunk. Um, but again, still wrestling, still active, but a little bit less than I, I normally was. Um, so I told myself, like, we have to do something because, you know, time's ticking. <laughs> so 2011, I reinvented myself. Um, basically came up with a... I, I kept my... My name, Luscious Joe Sloan. That was that was my name at the time. <laughs> That's where uh, the Lush comes from in custom vinyl. Lush, Lush was my nickname for short. Um, and kept that, but had a totally new look, new gear, uh, new attitude. And I started, I started back up, and I started tag teaming up with my brother again. Me, me and my brother, we reconciled our differences uh, personally. Um, and my brother was starting to get back into wrestling. So we, we teamed up, we named ourselves custom vinyl, which was, which was our dad's, uh, upholstery company that he was in business with. So this was kind of <laughs> like an ode to my dad. Cause we, we never really, we had that one match in the very beginning of my career where we teamed up, but we hadn't really been together since then. Yeah, we've always been on opposite sides. When he was a good guy, I was a bad guy. When I was a bad guy, he was a good guy. Uh, vice versa. I think I repeated myself there. I don't know. Um, <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> uh, but we were always on opposite sides. So now we were we were both bad guys. <laughs> we and we 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 actually we called our finisher the Shelly Bomb, which was our aunt Shelly who stole all our money from us. <laughs> uh, we. Like, that was the thing that was going to finish off our opponents. <laughs> That's funny. So we, we turned that into, like, a little uh, a little thing. So we were wrestling. We were, we were constantly wrestling now legends, the people that we saw on TV. We were wrestling Superfly Jimmy Snuka. Um, we were in there with uh, Tony Atlas. And, um, again, Marty Jannetty again. Uh, Greg the Hammer Valentine again, like just guys would be coming around and in that specific promotion, they wanted when they brought in legends, they wanted safe guys for them to work with. And they knew that we were safe and that we were good. We'd be able to make them look like a million bucks. And we did. Now it was good getting the experience of being in the ring with them, but it's bad because we were also very limited with what we can do. Right. Cause those guys can't move as well as they used to. <laughs> so we were extremely limited, but we would put on really entertaining matches nonetheless. Uh, and this was also around the time uh, I, I said I switched my gear. I switched into just trunks, uh, which so I went I went shirtless. I was in these basically these little speedo underwear things, and I had so much self confidence, and I was. I, how I said, like, I, w I still wasn't comfortable even losing all the weight. Like, I had gained a lot of the weight back, but I had so much self-confidence at that point. Like, I didn't care what other people thought about me. Like, I knew that I can own what I was trying to do with this character. 
So I I had this. I had a I had a uh, a girl who I was uh, starting to come close with in my personal life. So things were looking up in 2011. Um, and so I, we, we kept traveling. We traveled throughout 2012. Uh, I went to Vegas in 2012. I uh, worked some shows over there. I went to California. I worked some shows over there. And like things were really starting to pick up again. I met, uh, when I was in Vegas, I met Jim Ross, who was just, uh, a commentator, famous commentator, but worked in other roles for WWE too. Um, he was the quote-unquote voice of our generation as far as the Attitude Era is concerned, and everyone that watched wrestling in the 90s. Uh, Big-time big guy, big-time guy. And so I, I asked him in Vegas, and I was asking him, because I'm was i trying to pick his brain, because obviously uh, WWE is where I wanted to go. And I'm starting to pick his brain, and I'm like, do you think uh, that WWE would hire somebody that has my look? And... He he looked at him, and again, he has never seen me wrestle, so he doesn't know how I work. And this was the, the issue I had with, with other people who were who were judging me by based on my look. And he basically told me that and I didn't have good odds because my body wasn't TV friendly. I'm like, you bastard. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure that's not... I, I appreciated the honesty. Yeah. But at the same time, I, it was just like... I ain't gonna, I like I ain't giving any ear to that. Like you know what, it, it 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 sucked because he was such a big deal in the wrestling business, yeah. and even still is. So like you know his opinion, his opinion's right and his opinion matters. So to hear right. him say that, like shoot man, like I'm like okay, I'm not gonna let that spoil my fun. So I I, I kept up with it. Um, starting to travel all over the place um building relationships with uh the DiBiase family um you know meeting Shawn Michaels and Sting and uh, some other really popular guys in wrestling my my photos on Greg Valentine's mantle at his house <laughs> like 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 you really had to sit back at this moment and I'm just like I can't believe that I'm at where I'm at right now. <laughs> like, this is crazy. Like, all, I'm, I'm building relationships with all these people that I used to watch on TV. And I'm, I'm working with them on wrestling shows. And I'm wrestling with them. And, and we're doing all this. It's like, this is nuts. Like, I can't, like I'm doing this thing. And it was, uh, it was awesome. Yeah. Uh, so we, yeah. So I, I was talking with Ted DiBiase Jr. Um, and this is now now we're we're in 2013 now and he was uh he was going to try to get me in Japan now wrestling's huge in Japan and i always wanted to go to Japan wanted to go work in England too um different style but if, yeah. if you go work in Japan like that's a huge deal i was like yeah. i need i need to get on that uh so he was going to he was going to make some calls on my behalf um but 2013 was also one an, another biggest match of my career uh going up against um mike this guy mike mondo who was uh part of wwe he was a tag team champion for wwe uh he was part of the spirit squad 
was their team name. He was Mikey. But he was also, when I first started training, he was a student uh, at that training center. And he got signed to WWE shortly thereafter that. So I, we, we go way back. Me and, my, and this guy, he was, I have so much respect for him. Uh, he's wrestled anybody you could think of in WWE. He's gotten feedback. Ric Flair, who's one of the you know best to ever do it. Ric Flair loved working with Mikey. Like this guy knows what he's doing, and I like. I was extremely motivated to have like one of my best matches with him. Like I need to impress in this match. Um, I'm like, let's do this thing, and we were we were having a match at Jones Beach, which is uh, a really popular beach on the East Coast. Mm-hmm. It might be one of the one of the famous one, one of the most famous ones. Um, there's a, a concert uh, arena there at Jones Beach, and um, we were wrestling on the boardwalk at Jones Beach at, at the band shell at the boardwalk, and they they made it for they made it the championship match too the the company that they were doing it for, and I trained like crazy for this thing. Um, I knew that the history, I knew how important it was, and uh, we went out there and. Oh, we we had a really good match. We had a really good match, and and I know I'm I impressed him a little bit. Um, I I'm always my biggest critique when it comes to matches. So there were certain things that I wish I would have happened better. But like I had an I had an awesome match in 2013, and 2013 was um, again I had that huge huge match, and but it started it didn't my year. I had a really crappy beginning to that year, and I thought it was going to be another one of those hell years. And <laughs> it, it, it turned out, it turned out, it started that way, but it didn't end that way. Um, because everything, everything seemed to be going wrong that year. Um, I had a that that girl who I was starting to see, and we were becoming friends. And I thought uh, something else it was going to move forward with. Um, ended up rejecting me when I finally hexed her out. Uh, so that and I, I was like, I was ninety eight percent sure that she was gonna say yes when I asked her out. Like I was so there, and I, I tore a ligament in my thumb and needed surgery on, Ew. on on my thumb, and that was weird because when I came out of the surgery, I lost all feeling in my thumb. Ooh, <laughs> all the nerves were were shot in my thumb after the surgery. And it felt like they attached a wooden thumb to my hand. And I just had this, like, extra appendage that was attached to my hand. <laughs> like, it was the weirdest feeling, not having <laughs> not having feeling in something that is, like, you clearly see attached to you. Yeah. And, like, I'm, like, wrapping my other hand around my thumb and I don't feel a thing at all. <laughs> I'm, like, this is... I could barely move it. I'm, like... So the year started off like that and I'm, like... Like I got to get feeling back in my hand. <laughs> yeah, like, I've I've heard that before about people, um, even like uh, having uh, strokes or or something like that too, where their the you know certain part of their body goes numb or they lose feeling in it, and it's a really like foreign, like you said, like it feels like you had a wooden thumb. It's it's like it's not yours. Right. Yeah. So weird. <laughs> it, it was weird. So I, I was able to bounce back from that. Um, 
I did I did skip over one thing that was really huge, and I don't know. I wrote it in a in a wrong spot in my notes here that I'm using. Um, the year I reinvented myself, 2011, we had a huge opportunity, me and my brother, to go on this uh, outreach to Jamaica, and they were using uh, they were having wrestling as part of this outreach in Jamaica, this uh, missions outreach, and. There was all these uh, top uh, Christian artists and uh, preachers and all all gathered in one place. We were, and there was 55,000 people there. And there was wow. uh, 55,000 people in, in this one spot. And there was, uh, there was dramas and there was songs and there was some preaching. And they, they had some wrestling there. And out of the one wrestling, like, it was going to be me versus my brother. Uh, as part of the wrestling thing, and Lex Luger was involved, and Nikita Koloff was involved. Were involved, and and it was in front of fifty five thousand people, and uh, it was one of those things that was like too good to be true. When I first heard about it, like no way, no way, and, and until I was like legit there, and like seeing the people file in, and it's like holy shoot. I'm in Jamaica right now, and there's 55,000 people, and they're about to watch me wrestle. Crazy. And I'm at, like, now I'm, I'm in the this VIP area with all the stars of 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 this thing, uh, top hip hop artists and whatnot, and people are coming up to me asking me for my picture, and I'm like, shoot, I want your picture. <laughs> what, are, what, are you, what are you crazy? Uh, what are we talking about here? So uh, they, they tell us, like, okay, you guys are up in like 10 minutes. I'm like, okay, great. Uh, and then like 20 minutes pass and then 30 minutes pass and like kept getting pushed back and back and back and back. And I think we were waiting for like an hour, like over an hour. And we're like, when are we going on? What is happening right now? Uh, like this is like, I was so amped. Like it, it was beyond, uh, beyond nerves at this point. Now it was just like, I'm ready to do this. Like I'm, I'm in, my adrenaline was, was already there. And then finally we had, we had to go ahead to go and, we we had our we had our match and I remember making my entrance and I remember standing up on the ropes and looking out and as far as my eye could see there were people like the furthest distance away is just people completely surrounded. Jeez. And I'm like, this doesn't happen to everybody. <laughs> like, I, I've I've been very lucky. I feel very lucky to have been able to have that experience because there, there are people that are probably much better than me who've never gotten to wrestle in front of that big of a crowd. Yeah. And it was, it was definitely one of those moments, those highlight moments where I look back and I go, it's crazy that this nobody kid from Long Island, New York, who was chasing a dream is here right now uh, wrestling in front of 55,000 people. Wild. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so I had that big match with Mike Mondo. I'm like, okay, now I got I got to springboard off that match now. Um, and twenty at the end of 2013 and going into 2014, WWE was starting something new with their training facility. They were calling it the Performance Center, and they were revamping how they do their um, their minor leagues, quote unquote. So they were having. Uh, they were having a lot of like indie guys, that, which is 
basically what my level was. It's called independent wrestling. You're not attached to any one promotion. They were having a lot of those guys come in for tryouts. And I was like, I got to I got to get I got to get in on this. I got to get a tryout with WWE. Like that's this has been my goal since day one. Uh, I've made it this far. I I, want to keep going with this now. And so I I ended up finding out the person I needed to contact. And I I did what I was told. I sent them an email and I was like, hey, I like, hey, my name is Joe uh, from Long Island, New York. I've been wrestling for the past nine years. Uh, have experience with this, this, this guy, this guy, this guy. Um, here's a match of mine. I used that match that I had with Mike, uh, Mike Mondo from uh, the, the previous year. And uh, I sent updated pictures. And I'm like, I would love to just have a workout. And I, I, I clicked send. And I'm like, okay, now we wait. So <laughs> in that process, uh, you know, the waiting game. And I, I ended up hearing, in, in the midst of that, I signed up for this camp that was happening in Charlotte, North Carolina, who had a lot of, a lot of names that were heading up the train. The names were uh, uh, Dr. Tom Pritchard and Lance Storm, uh, Les Thatcher, uh, and Gerald Briscoe who I was specifically interested in because Gerald Briscoe at the time was a uh, a talent scout for WWE. So I was just like, okay, so I sent, I sent this email and now I got, I got this camp that I can try to impress uh, people in as well. So I'm in training mode now. I'm, I'm getting my cardio up. I, um, I'm hitting the gym multiple times a week. uh, And I was extremely motivated at this point in my life. And I got an email back from the uh, this guy who was the, the senior vice president of talent. And his name is Canyon Seaman, senior director of talent development. And he writes back just basically two sentences. Sorry, Joe, WWE does not have an opportunity for you. Dang. And I was like, I, I just, I just, I let out a sigh because... My guess is, and this has been the fr- the frustrating part of my, I, I betcha he took one look at me and was just like, no. Yeah. Didn't like, like see like, what you could do or anything right. like that. Just, yeah. So I'm just like, man, I like, I want to know if he watched the match. <laughs> like, did he watch the match? Right. Because, again, I, got, I have this reputation of impressing people once they see. And if, if you see potential, you know, they might give you a sh- and that's all I was looking. I wasn't asking for a contract. I'm just asking right. for a- I'm asking for just to work out in front of them. Like I'm not yeah. like I didn't I didn't think it, it wasn't much of a big ask. Um but they were still it was at the point where they were starting to transition. They weren't doing the same old cookie cutter wrestlers because there was a a good portion of the two thousands where they were only looking for a specific type. Uh, you had to look this way or else you would not get a contract. But yeah. But in 2014, you know, things were they were starting to be a little bit more open to smaller guys. They were being a little bit more open to bigger guys. They were they were being a little but it hadn't fully happened yet. It hadn't fully reached its peak. Uh, and definitely nowhere near where it is right now. Uh, where they're, they'll give anybody uh, a, a shot for the most yeah. part. Um, 
so I got that email and I was I was like, man, there was there was my dream, and this guy's trying to be dream crusher right now. I'm like, so I could take this and I can and I can quit, or I can I, I still had this camp coming up in a couple weeks. So I'm like, you know what? I'm gonna show them at the camp. <laughs> so <laughs> I I used it as motivation, and I went after uh, I, I went after it and tried like doubled my training regimen that I was doing. I was running three miles <laughs> and I was just like, I was really, really putting in the work. I dropped 15 pounds uh, heading into this camp in Charlotte. And I knew that like, it was going to be a big deal. It was, it was something that was super duper important that I, that I, I had to impress at this camp. And I had to make sure that they didn't just take a look at me and write me off right from looking at me. So I, it was a couple of days, I think it was two days before the camp. I was doing like my last big workout before the camp because I didn't want to kill myself before <laughs> before the, the camp because it was like a five-day camp. Yeah. And I was running and I was doing sprints at the track and and I was going hard and I pulled I pulled a groin. Ugh. <laughs> I was just like, shh. <sighs> Man. <laughs> so I I stopped the workout and I uh yeah, I did everything I could to I, I had two days to try to rest it and uh get it as back to normal as I possibly can, but there was no way to get fully. But I went to, I drove eleven hours to Charlotte. By myself, uh, I was at this camp, um, and it was one of the first drills that we were doing. Um, it was basically they're they're they were basically testing testing everyone's cardio for the most part. Is what they were doing. They were having us do a bunch of stuff in the ring, a lot of rope running and um, uh, leapfrogs and drop downs and and all this stuff and. I got I got in the ring and I you knew that they were they had they already had an opinion on me. So I, I I tried not to let it bother me until I and then I started the drill and I did the first part of the drill and I did my first leapfrog and you hear like the whoa from everybody that was a part of this <laughs> camp. It was like 50 people in this camp. It was so many people uh, in this camp, and a lot of people that are now on TV uh, uh, in NXT: Donovan Dijakovic, Cedric Alexander, who's on WWE right now; um, Saxon Huxley, who's in NXT in UK right now; uh, Joey Janela, who's in on AEW right now; uh, so uh, Tessa Blanchard, who's in TNA right now. Uh, all these people were at this camp, so it was it was a big deal to, yeah. to be numbered in in with all of them and now to be working out with all these guys and i so i did i did my first leaf frog and then all these guys go, oh so and now they're really getting behind me and i was just like shoot i got them so we, we finished the drill and it was four to five it was four like really intense days of training where you're you're in there I'm, i was working with again Guys who I used to watch on TV, Doctor Tom, uh, who is, 
he was the head of the their uh their minor leagues, so to speak, back in that big boom in wrestling in the late nineties when when The Rock came up and Kurt Angle came up and Edge and Christian came up. He was he was the one that was heading all of that minor league training. So to have him there and to get his feedback was going to be super important, along with all these other guys, Lance Storm, who was super awesome, Nigel McGuinness, who was awesome, and and Gerald Briscoe, who was the talent scout for WWE at that point. Now, the good thing about this being in front of these guys, like you're, you're going to get those looks, um, but you, you don't know what's coming at that point either. Because what happened, what happened with me was I got put into... I got put into a less than ideal situation to try to show off my ability. And again, I was pushing myself as, as hard as I could during this time. And I, I was still working with a pulled groin at this point. So I was, I was wrestling. Uh, they called me out and they called this other guy out and they're like, okay, you guys are going to have a match right now. You have, you have one minute to, to talk and then you're getting in the ring. I'm like, okay. <laughs> and now here's, Here's the scout, and I was I, I I'm used to playing the bad guy, and in the ring, the bad guy is the one that kind of is the general in the ring, and can kind of move the match how he wants to move it. He gets to call the match when they're in the ring, generally speaking. So what ended up happening was I got put in there, and I had more experience than this other guy. This other guy only had a couple of years experience. But they made me the good guy, and they made him the bad guy. And I didn't have as much experience working as a good guy. And they had this inexperienced guy trying to lead the match. So the, the match didn't go as good as I had wanted to. And uh, needless to say, I didn't impress Gerald Briscoe when I was down there. Um, but I, when I finished the camp... Uh, the winner of this camp was going to get a scholarship, a $1,500 scholarship to continue their uh, their training elsewhere um, or to just put into their own character. They could use it to get new gear. They could use it to, to go to the Dudley Boys School that just uh, opened up in Florida. Uh, they can use it to go to Lance Storm School. They, they could use it to further their wrestling career in any capacity that they saw fit. So... I was like, okay, I could use that money, and I could definitely, this is something that I still want to do. Um, we got to the camp, um, and um, I, didn't, I didn't end up getting that scholarship. Um, the person who won the scholarship is actually uh, a referee in WWE right now. She's the first ever female ref for WWE, uh, Jess cool. K. So she was, she was down there. She was a wrestler before she... They hired her to be a referee, and she took the referee position. But that that was kind of that that led to her into to WWE. But I, I spoke to Doctor Tom, uh, the the lead trainer of this camp at the end, and I was just asking for feedback and just what what he thought and and he was basically like, like you're you're pretty good, <laughs> like, and to to hear that and again it was like validation. Like, okay, I'm not crazy. Yeah. And like, and here's this guy who trained, who who helped get ready and prepare one of the biggest stars ever in wrestling, The Rock, and uh, Kurt Angle and and Edge and all those guys, and he's telling me I'm I'm pretty good. 
And I'm like, shoot, <laughs> like that's awesome. Like it was definitely one of like the highlights for me. Yeah. And so I had a long, so I took that and I took his his um. I, I took his feedback, and I was beat after that camp. I put everything I had into that camp, and I had a long drive home. I had an eleven-hour drive home. So in that, in that, um, in those hours, I was, I was doing a lot of thinking and meditating and praying. I'm just like, man, what's my next step? What, what, what more do I have to do now? And it got to a point where I just kind of. I was like, like, I and I, I kind of felt this for whatever reason inside me. I was like, what, what difference would it make if you make if you make it to WWE, but you have nobody to share it with? Yeah. Like what? Like, what was the purpose of it all then? Because again, at that at that time, I was, I was, I was doing a lot of this on my own at this point. My my brother my brother had come back to wrestling, but he was only doing local stuff. He wasn't pursuing wrestling as a career anymore, whereas I was still trying to make it. And uh, I didn't have a, I don't have a fan. I didn't have a family, um, like no kids, no not like. And I just like that. I was thinking on that state. Like I don't know where that came from, but it just popped into it just popped into my head, and I'm just like. I realize that I'm not defined by whether I make it or not. Like I'm yeah. not, I'm not defined by like, that's not the end all be all to, to my life. Like I don't, there's more to me than whether I make it in pro wrestling or not. And, and at this point, you know, it, it was 2014. I had been gosh, like 12 years in, and I felt like crap after that, <laughs> after that camp. Yeah. My body was so beat up. And, and yeah. I, and I realized I was like, man, even if I, like, even if I make it to WWE at this point. How long can your body. Right. Yeah. Hold up, like yeah. the, the schedule, like they're training every day or like five days a week. And then once you get on show, it's almost like start once you get there, you're starting over again because right. now you got to work your way up to work you know, on shows, and then once you get on shows, you got to work your way up to TV, and then once you work your way up to TV, you're working your way up to pay per views, and the wear and tear that would would happen on my like, I barely made it through this four day camp, and now I'm now I'm thinking to myself like, shoot, like I don't know if my body is going to be able to handle all of this beating and pounding that I've one put my body through for the past 12 years or so and what it could potentially be in the future. Because again, I like having a family is important to me. It's, uh, it's one of my, like one of my main goals. And if I, you know, when I eventually get married and have kids, like I want to be active dad. I don't want to be wheelchair dad. <laughs> <laughs> So it, it was at that point where uh, like a, a shift happened in my, in my, in my personal life where it was like, you know what? I'm not, I'm not going to 
chase this dream anymore, but but I'm okay with that. Yeah. Like I, I didn't I don't have any regrets about about stopping because I I did everything that I could do to to make it. Um I I've accomplished more than I ever thought that I could accomplish in that in that time that I did. I've wrestled people I, you know, a list list of people that got, I, I've never expected to be in the ring with ever. Yeah. And, or probably even meet in person. Right. You don't like yeah. these are like quote unquote pipe dreams, but like they happened and they and I'm like I, I had a good career, like despite not making it. Yeah. And I'm just like there were like twenty, there were twenty stars that I watched on TV, uh, that I got to work, work in the ring with, and then even multiple more outside of that that I've gotten to build relationships with, mm-hmm. outside of that. Um, and it, it was that year where I, I kind of put wrestling on. I wouldn't say I put it on the back burner, but I wasn't I wasn't doing it to pursue WWE anymore. I was doing it because because I I just still love to do it. Like I was doing it for me. Um but I wasn't doing it to to make it a living anymore. And and it was in that time and I had no I have no regrets about it because even though I didn't get that dream, like there are other dreams now that I have. Yeah. Like there's there's never like there's never the one thing that you know, if you don't reach it, you're a failure. That's not the case at all. You know, there there are other things that that you can do in your life that that is important in life, and even if you think something is your entire life, which wrestling was my entire life up until that point, you know, there were other things that were placed on my heart that I wanted to do, that I wanted to accomplish, and and I have a piece about it. And I think that's the most important thing. Yeah. Well, I it's think not... that's all you can really hope for, you know, if it other than than making it, I feel like it's the best case scenario. Yeah. Uh, so so yeah, so I've been focusing on so where I'm at now. So twenty fourteen up until twenty nineteen, you know, I've wrestled considerably less matches and and my, I know my body's really thankful for that, because uh, <laughs> even even now, just thinking about taking another fall on my back is just like I'm cringing just thinking about it. Yeah. Uh, but I'll I, so I still do the occasional match here and there, um, but I'm not I'm definitely not active, quote unquote. There, there was I had some matches last year that were uh, pretty fun. It was the first time going in a in a a good amount of time because there was a, I want to say like 2016, 2017, like I barely did anything. Um, and then I had like one match in 2018 and then I had a couple in 2019, which were, which were cool. And I got to wrestle even more legends, uh, in 2019. Uh, but what's weird is like, I'm so used to that now. <laughs> like, <it's> other, yeah. <laughs> like the novelty of that has worn off. Like I feel like I'm, I, like I know what to expect 
when when put in that position and I know how to, how to work with them and and be comfortable with that and I'm not nervous at all doing it anymore it's just it's become second nature so cool yeah and what a um I feel like what a good you know ode to your dad too of just like a solid career and effort and yeah it's awesome yeah I, I again I think not having not living with any regret mm-hmm. is I, I I think it, it's it's something that's important that I feel a lot of other people struggle with because they don't reach goals or they set goals for themselves that 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 become unattainable for whatever reason mm-hmm. and as long as you like I as long as you give it your best effort, like you, you put everything that you have into it. Like if I, if I looked back and I said to myself, there's like, I could have done so much more. And then I would, then I would feel like I left some stuff out on the table. Like, <laughs> like I could have, yeah. Yeah. I, I maybe had an opportunity to go to WWE that I, that I missed. Um, but I don't, I don't feel that. And again, I'm, I'm happy working on these other dreams that I have and doing these other things that, that have been put on my heart. I'm doing a lot of, like, I thought it was, I thought I fell in love with the pro wrestling specifically, but I, I think I've come to realize that I think I just, I fell in love with performing in general. Yeah. Because I've been doing a lot of, I've, (laughs) I've been doing some stage and theater stuff on Long Island here. And I get, I've gotten a lot of positive feedback from a lot of people about it. And it's almost like when, when you keep getting compliments, just like, okay, is there something more here now that I should be looking? Like I, I've had like, gosh, like 20 different people come up to me, like, you ever think about going on Broadway? Yeah. Like you could do it. And I'm like, really? And I'm like, <laughs> they're like, yeah, like you're really good. And I'm like, oh, Okay. Um, and then like, after you hear that, like, like I have heard it like 20 times, like, okay, you know, maybe I'm going to do this. Yeah. And uh, like, I love performing. I, so I've been, uh, I've been going on auditions like these past couple, these past two years, I've been going on auditions for stuff and, and movies and stuff and just trying to work that now. So it, it kind of fills my my performance bug that I have in me, mm-hmm. um, without getting beat up. Which is <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's cool. That's awesome. Do Do you get any of that out of tales as well? Yes. Uh, not not as t- t- it's a different. I mean, it's totally different. I never ever 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 expected to be on a podcast that involved Harry Potter. <laughs> never, <laughs> like ne- it was never in my wildest imagination that that would be a thing. And again, it, it, again, this is something that just kind of popped up over the, over these past couple of years as I, as I s- started to get more and more into Harry Potter and just my own personal search for just information about the series. Cause I had, so many questions after watching all the movies and yeah you know i watched all the movies out of order uh 
Yeah. Which is a big running joke on the show. Um, you watched all the books, or you watched all the movies out of order, and then you read the books out of order, right? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> kind of, yeah. What, well, what, yeah, what happened, what, what had happened was, <laughs> I had a... Uh, I saw the I saw the first two and then I saw six and when Snape uh, spoilers when uh, <laughs> when I found out what happened with Snape at the end of uh, movie six I was like no freaking way so seeing that dark turn I saw six seven and eight and then I'm like I missed three four five like I should probably really watch those <laughs> so I found I, I found all the movies and I, then I watched a full run through I'm like oh my god and I. That's who Sirius Black is. I had no idea who that was. <laughs> <laughs> and then I had, after watching the movies, I had all these unanswered questions that I, that I, after researching online, I found out a lot of them were answered in book seven. So I had read book seven first. <laughs> I got all the answers. And then I went back to read, read the series uh, from the beginning all the way through again. And then I had, I had found the podcast and, I'd found tales and the rest is history. Yeah. <laughs> what uh what house are you? I am a Hufflepuff. Oh, okay. I'm I, I thought I was gonna be a Gryffindor. And then when I found out I was Hufflepuff, I was like, <laughs> oh come on. And then when I read about Hufflepuff, I'm like, yeah, I'm a Hufflepuff. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like all Hufflepuffs have that rea- reaction initially. Like, what? And then, yeah, I guess it makes yeah, sense. That's, 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 yeah. <laughs> that's funny. I've never met a Hufflepuff I didn't like, though. <laughs> Agreed. <laughs> um, so I, uh, you know, we always have to, we always like to ask a question of um, our guests before they come on the show and, um, whether that's for an, a, a previous guest or for us as uh, hosts of Mental Maintenance. Um, and you had asked a question for the both of us. Now, we, Jordan and I haven't discussed this because we try to keep it as, like, I don't know, uh, natural as possible. Like that. But um, you had asked, uh, out of everyone you've interviewed up until this point, whose story were you the most shocked by? Like, who surprised you the most with what they shared that you had no idea about? And do you want to answer that first, Jordan? Mm-hmm. You, you can go first. Yeah, I was going to say, do you want me to yeah. go first? Okay. Um, I would have to say that my... Uh, the one that shocked me the most. I mean, I've loved all of them. And I think everybody's story is so different that it's it's hard to... Um, compare but if I really just get down to like the word shock and not so to me that means like just I wasn't expecting it um, I would have to say Angelica because we didn't know um, before we recorded with her what she wanted to talk about you know we try to we try to ask our guests who are coming on um, to give us a little bit of background on what they want to talk about but um, she was uh, I think we don't pry like if someone doesn't really want to say like before they get here that's fine well you know we'll just kind of go with it when they when they get there and uh we literally had no idea what she was going to talk about and when she started to share her story about uh 
you know, being abused as a child and, you know, and what happened later, um, I would definitely say hers shocked me the most. Yeah, I think I would agree. Um, I would say that I think in some aspect, all of our episodes have been shocking to me just because I, you like feel like you have an idea of what it's about, but then once we really get into it, I feel like all of them have some sort of shocking factor yeah um i if we are focusing on the word shock i do think um josh's episode his story shocked Mm. me just because i had no background um and just his upbringing and him having to leave the house so early and his his mom taking basically just being like well mm -hmm. i'm gonna go live here yeah figure it out yeah yeah um just so we're not saying the same episode, though, I would say Ashley and Nicole's um, is like one of the first episodes we recorded. I knew what they were going to be sharing, but just the how vulnerable they each were with their stories of sharing um, about um, having eating disorders and bulimia and mm-hmm. body dysmorphia and how young yeah. they were. And yeah, that one was intense for me. Yeah. Yeah. Good question. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Um, have you listened to Josh's episode? Yes, I've listened to Josh's. I've listened to Marissa's. I've listened to your very first episode. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> and I think I caught half of two other episodes, too. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Yeah, Josh's was cool. His, um, you know, him being the first of the three of you that we talked to. uh, And I feel like also kind of early on to an hour recording in general. um, Our first Skype. um, Yeah, he was our first Skype. Yeah, he was our first not in person (laughs) interview. Yeah. Um, Yeah, his was crazy for sure. But it's been really cool. I feel like it's it's cool that we've checked all three boxes (laughs) we've got your three of three yeah no i i I know we we were all happy to to do it and assist and i know i I saw josh reply and i saw marissa reply and then i'm like i I hope she knows that i I would agree too (laughs) i I, I guess i just assumed that you and i'm like you know what i should probably just send an email just in case like (laughs) like yes i'm totally down Yeah, it's been really cool um, to have you guys from Tales, like, kind of, you guys have been really supportive, and it's been just so awesome to be able to talk to all three of you, and it's it's one thing, um, you know, to hear you guys talk, like, every week for, uh, you know, a few hours, um, you start to really feel like you know a person, you know, when you're listening to their voice on a weekly basis, and the little tidbits that you guys talk about your personal lives and can tell your personalities and everything and the way, you know, you interact with each other. Um, but it's, it's, you know, obviously a totally different story when you're, we get to talk to you guys each individually and let you share something about yourself. And yeah, it's no, just totally. been, yeah, really, really cool for me to, to be on this side of things. Yeah, definitely weird for me. I I can't say that I've told my full story 
at any point in my I've I've touched on different topics and different things, um, especially like when 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 counseling some some youth at church and uh like I've definitely touched on certain topics and was able to relate to them uh, with my story, but I I never really put it all on paper and was like, this is everything that happened to me. And this is everything I went through. And this was my whole career. And even preparing for this and doing that, I was just like, dang, so much happened. Like, oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> I'm have to like chop this episode into two parts or something. I feel like I'm going to talk forever. Holy smokes. By the way, I do feel like maybe you're the only guest or the first guest we've had so far to make notes. And I think that was really helpful can you think of anyone else that yeah definitely not in person but um yeah i think you i mean i thank you for preparing Mm -hmm. you know as much as you did i think it it made things flow really nicely yeah no no, i i'm i'm good with organization (laughs) i like it i'm not like i'm not like super organized but when i'm doing certain things I, i like that especially when i'm talking when i'm doing a lot of talking I like yeah. to ha- have at least like the points in front of me, like Joe, stay on track because if you get off on a tangent, <laughs> like you're never coming back, and then you end up missing stuff too that you know is important. Like I only like the stuff I I touched on were were things that like I felt needed to be highlighted. There, there's so much in between stuff that I didn't even get to, and it, it's just oh my god, like just like <laughs> it was just so much. Yeah, it was an incredible story, and you did a really good job at like allowing us to come on the journey with you. Like the yeah. way you explained it was really cool. It was like we were there, right with you. Yeah, definitely. Thank you. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for being on Mental Maintenance, and I will continue to listen to you every <laughs> week. Um, I hope so. It it feels weird um, because, like, I, you know, Tales didn't come out this week. I think it's like the only time that there was like an actual scheduled break. And uh, obviously, like, you guys deserve it and need it. And and that's great. And, but I was like, oh, I don't really have to miss out on hearing about hearing Joe, though. (laughs) I still listen to him. (laughs) Yeah, you got, you got your fill for a while. I'm sure. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much, Joe. Um, you're welcome anytime. Thank you. Thanks again for having me. Appreciate yeah. it. Have a good night. You too. Thanks. Bye. Hey, M&Ms. Thanks for joining us once again on Mental Maintenance Monday. We wanted to take time to remind you that your story deserves to be told. That's right, and you can always reach out to us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at MentalMPodcast, or email us at mmpodcast1 at gmail.com. We love you. Bye.